Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Back in September, HHS released a set of proposed rules dealing with broker compensation disclosure in the individual and short-term limited-duration markets, as well as surprise billing requirements for air ambulance providers. As we do with all relevant proposed regulations, NIHU submitted comments to the administration with our questions and concerns about this proposed rule. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy Buckner is here to discuss what we included in our comments. But before we dive into our comment letter, we would be remiss if we did not discuss some important federal guidance that was just released. On Thursday, CMS and OSHA issued interim final rules on the COVID-19 vaccination requirements that were established in an executive order from President Biden back in September. The CMS order focuses specifically on healthcare workers, while OSHA's applies to all employers with more than 100 employees. So Marcy, what information do these IFRs on the vaccine mandate provide? Thanks, Dan. And these IFRs, so interim final rules, and as our loyal listeners know, that means that they go into effect immediately, although they are taking comments on these. But because they are an IFR, they do go into place immediately. And there are two, just like Dan said. One, that applies to healthcare workers that are in facilities that receive funds from Medicaid or Medicare. And the other that applies to private employers with more than 100 employees. And these IFRs go into detail regarding who is covered under the mandate, so who needs to be vaccinated. There are a lot of questions and FAQs that go along with the rules that ask about people who telework or for healthcare providers if they're a type of physician that doesn't have contact with patients one-on-one, or whether it applies to employees at those healthcare facilities that aren't physicians. And the answer to all of that is yes. (laughs) Yes, it applies to those folks. But although in certain circumstances, if someone is 100% teleworking, it does not. There are also rules detailing what to do with religious exemptions, how employers will be implementing the, the requirements, which includes things like time off to get the vaccine, additional time off if there are bad side effects, time off for if someone does get sick. All of these things are included in these IFRs for both of these communities. And so, like I said, because it's an IFR, it goes into effect immediately. And these different groups, so the groups with employers, private employers with uh, groups that are larger than 100, and then these healthcare facilities that receive funding from Medicaid or Medicare have until January 4th to be in compliance. So they have about two months to get shots in arms. And there are some concerns on how this may impact the holidays, whether it's a, a positive or negative impact with so many people 
potentially trying to go and get the vaccine during this two-month period. There are other thoughts that maybe it will boost um, the amount of people that feel comfortable being out and about and shopping and possibly boost the economy. But there are a lot of different feelings on, on both sides of what impact it will have, positive or negative, on the economy, on the holidays, on fourth quarter, which I know is so busy for all of you. And legally speaking, do we anticipate that this vaccine requirement is going to be challenged in court? Absolutely, Dan. And OSHA and CMS did as much as they could in the press release and the fact sheets and in the preamble to the IFR to explain why they believe they have legal authority to do this. So they're trying to cover their bases, but we do anticipate that there will be challenges. Like I said earlier, they try to address things like religious exemptions and others that will come up as questions from employees in these two different entities. But I think that there are a, a number of other areas that we could possibly see being challenged. The, the big question here will be whether a lower court, which would be the first court to receive this challenge, whether they will release the ruling or, or a stay that says that this rule can go into place while the challenges are being adjudicated. That will be a big question, but we will follow this. This is breaking news this week, and we'll give you updates along the way, both implementation and any challenges that occur. So will NAHU be submitting comments on these IFRs to the administration? Yes, to the extent that this impacts employers and those large employers. NEHU is, is not coming out with a position or commenting on vaccination status in, in general. That's not something that we are coming out with an opinion on. But to the extent that this impacts benefits and impacts employers and the employer health insurance market, we will be commenting on that. Are you interested in learning more about these recent vaccine mandates? Then check out Compliance Now, NAHU's compliance blog, powered by MCQ Consulting. Compliance Now is going to be your go-to source for all of your health reform, implementation, and compliance concerns. Check it out at www.nahucompliancenow.com. That's nahucompliancenow.com. And be sure to follow the blog at the bottom of the page. Now let's get back to the individual market broker compensation disclosure comments. Can you remind folks exactly what this proposed rule outlined and what we responded to? Yes. So this was the proposed rule from a couple of weeks ago that really just focuses on the broker disclosure requirements for the individual market and the short-term limited duration market. I know in the past couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about the group market and our request to the Department of Labor on that. But this rule was specifically to the individual and short-term limited duration market. It also included a section that was on clarifying some pieces on the air ambulance provisions that were in the No Surprises Act of the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Because they were all in the same law, they were able to release this proposed rule that in included both of those issues, even though it doesn't seem like they're super related. That's what this proposed rule was addressing. So how did we respond to these individual market requirements and how they relate to brokers and health insurance issuers? 
Well, in the proposed rule, we were pleased that there was a focus similar to the focus that was included in the statute that this disclosure in the individual market and the short-term plans needs to be provided by the carrier. We were very pleased to see that. So we did thank the administration for kind of reiterating that through the rulemaking, even though it is written in the statute. We know that as agents and brokers, your relationship with the carriers and the issuers, especially in these individual and short-term markets, it's really one-sided. You often don't have the opportunity to negotiate when you're asking for what your commission will be. These agreements are largely what we call contracts of adhesion, where you don't really have a choice if you want to work with that issuer. So it makes sense to us that it's the issuer's responsibility to provide this information to the plan fiduciary. And it also makes sense that the issuers are the ones that are also reporting the information back to HHS, because there are two disclosure requirements here. One is the disclosure to the plan fiduciary, and the other is the disclosure to HHS. And to that point, there is a line in the proposed rule that says that an agent or a broker is able to satisfy the requirements in, in place of the issuer. But we said that we believe that this should fully be the responsibility of the issuer and suggesting that an agent or broker satisfy those requirements where an issuer failed, um, we think shifts the compliance liability to the agent or broker involved with that plan fiduciary. And we don't think that should be where the responsibility lies. So we did make sure that we commented on that section. And then we also commented on a section that applies to a lot of our questions for the requirements on the group market, and that's the applicability date. And I know I talked a lot about this when we were talking about the group market, but here the applicability date of contracts being entered into on or after December 27th of 2021. We do still have questions about that and how the timeline works. We'd like more clarification if a contract or an agreement is signed prior to December 27th, but it's a 1-1 plan. Does that mean that this disclosure needs to be included? Or if the plan fiduciary was enrolled prior to 12-27, does that mean that no disclosure is required? It just still isn't very clear based on the wording, even in this proposed rule. So we did ask for further clarification on that. As you mentioned, this proposed rule also deals with the surprise billing ban under the No Surprises Act, which encompasses air ambulance providers. So what did NAHU have to say regarding proposed regulation in this area? Well, this proposed rule addresses some data collection that is required under the No Surprises Act. Plans are required to collect specific data about the cost of air ambulance services, along with other pieces, not just the cost, what services were provided, the zip codes that were serviced, all of these different things. And this goes to the Department of Transportation and HHS to compile a report on these costs. What seems like a, a simple task can actually be a little bit more complicated when we think about those self-funded and level-funded groups where they're working with a third-party administrator, a TPA, or in some cases, they're working directly with an issuer. 
but they provide all of the administrative and claims payment services for the plans. So the TPA or the issuer, they're the holder of this data. They own the data that goes along with the air ambulance services and really what this proposed rule is asking for. So for those that are in self-funded or level-funded arrangements, we have, have kind of pointed this out that they're asking for this information from the employer, and the employer is not the entity that owns this information. Um, so for employers to comply, in some cases, they may have to alter their contracts and agreements with their TPAs or with the issuer to be able to access this information. So we've pointed that out and asked for clarification on how all of that will work. And then we've also pointed out that they are asking for this data to be reported on a calendar year timeframe. But we know that not all of you are working with calendar year plans. And so we also asked um, for more information on how either carriers or claims administrators should be reporting on those non-calendar year plans when the data requests run on a calendar year timeline. The proposed rule also deals with enforcement mechanisms. How does the proposed rule outline federal authority in this area and how do we respond? Well, this is very specific to requirements in the CAA for data collection by federal agencies. So where they're talking about enforcement provisions and federal versus state, it's not talking about some of those things that I get asked about quite a bit, which is about surprise billing under the CAA, which has the No Surprises Act. If a state already has a balanced billing law on the books, how does that correlate with the No Surprises Act in the CAA from a federal level? This does not address that. This is talking about who oversees the enforcement for data that is required to be collected and sent to federal agencies under the CAA. So this is a little bit different, even though it does step in the No Surprises Act a little bit when we think about collecting information from air ambulances and some of these other pieces. So this says that the federal government has the direct enforcement over those requirements for data collection by federal agencies. We have said, okay, we understand that makes sense. It's the federal agencies that are, are going to be collecting this information. It makes sense that they should be overseeing the enforcement. But we do believe and we did comment that state regulators need to be fully informed of all of the federal level regulatory action that takes place so that the states are not operating in a vacuum because many of them are putting in place items that are going to complement the federal action on the No Surprises Act. And so in order to be able to do so and allow all state and federal laws to work together, we do believe that the states need to be made aware of what the federal government is doing on this. Speaking of compensation disclosure, as you've mentioned, we have been working with the Department of Labor on the group market compensation disclosure requirements. So have we heard anything new in that area or when we may receive further guidance from the department in that area? Well, we reported two weeks ago about our meeting with the Department of Labor. We are still waiting to hear back from them. We've sent them some additional information that they requested during our meeting, but to date, we do not have any further guidance or FAQs from them. That's not to say that we couldn't get something, but 
we do need to make sure that as we approach the implementation date, December 27th of this year, that we are all working in good faith effort to be in compliance with what's written in the statute, even if we don't have this additional guidance. And so to help you with that, we are hosting an NAHU Compliance Corner webinar on November 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with Stacey Barrow from Marathas Barrow Weatherhead and Lint, also affectionately known as Marbar Law, which we use as our outside ERISA attorneys. Stacey Barrow will be providing an overview of the group broker disclosure requirements as well as a sample form or outline that could assist you all in being in compliance based on what is in the statute and the information that we have to date. So check out this week's Washington update for registration for the Broker Disclosure Compliance webinar. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So what are we toasting to this week? This time we're toasting to being in person for our recording for the first time since March of 2020. And we're also recording in a new office space. NEHU moved to a a new office space in Washington, D.C. Our new address is on the website if you'd like to send us welcome gifts. (laughs) (laughs) All of our phone numbers are the same, so you're still able to reach all of the staff the same way you used to. Same phone numbers, just different address. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.